you know, I, I try to explain even less <laughs> usually. Sure. So I can just do whatever, you know, like, you know, maybe there was an ooze, maybe not, but uh, it doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. And actually it, it usually ends up being kind of not meeting your expectations when you, you know, when you find out who Wolverine was, you know, it's like, okay, now I know, but it's kind of nice not knowing. Hey, how's everyone doing? Every year I set these ridiculous writing goals and the same holds true for the Clarion West write-a-thon. I've done this for three years. And one common issue that I've noticed is that it leaves like no free time for me and my wife and the weekends become just doubly insane because I've put off everything thinking I can make up for it on the weekends when it's just too much. So I came to this sort of epiphanal moment. I think it was sort of kind of following uh, my writers, my monthly writers meeting. I'm like, why am I, why am I beating myself up? So I, I mentioned it to my wife and, you know, bless her, man. She says like, first response was like, no, you won't be able to make your, your word count goal, which I'm like, Oh, thank you so much for like respecting this arbitrary number that I made up. But, you know, I immediately said, listen, I can lower that number. This, there's no law in this. I'm just going to take the number down. How about I take the, you know, the weekends off? So do Monday through Friday. She's like, well, that would be great. And I'm like, oh, thanks. So I did. And I got this immense sense of relief. I'm glad I made that call. I'm glad that, you know, the people around me, you know, my, my, you know, Molly, and then all these other people who I talked to were just like, yeah, absolutely. That's the right thing. So I'm happy to have done that. You know, so 60,000 words is still an admirable goal. Um, I will try to see how close to 70 I can get because, you know, me. And then like another thing that kind of popped out, which was sort of said as this offhanded joking thing, you know, and someone's like, oh, at the writing group goes, why you write so slow? <laughs> I was like, whoa, because I, I, I put out good numbers and, you know, I've, I've written a book and, you know, all these things. And I thought like, how dare you? You know, this is like a top five slam, but I thought about it and I thought about it. I really think I do write slow. And not that I write slow, is that I type slow. And I don't seem to have this vomitous ability of just whacking the, the keys to just churn out words. And it's not an editorial, internal editorial thing. And you know, I'm not, my fingers aren't moving like at this rate that I would love them to move. So I feel so weird to say this, but like I'm, I'm, taking typing practice tests online because I thought, well, let's try to get this number up. Let's try to get better at that. So it's the, it feels so silly, but like, I guess, you know, Hey, like, listen, if I said, if I wanted to run a marathon, like I can't expect to just have a really fast time and make the whole distance. I had to have to, you know, do practice and maybe that's just what I need. Maybe I need some deliberate practice to improve that skill. and increase that time or at least the 
productivity in the time that I put into it, which is significant. You know, there's my dirty little secret, I guess, but hopefully uh, I can clean it up. This week's guest is Jeremy Brooks. I saw Jeremy's artwork on Twitter. Somebody must have reposted something he did. And then I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool. And it's this super like uh, expressionistic um, stylized characters that he draws. And they're really cool. I mean, like every time he does like a character that I know of, not not just his cool original characters. And I go, wow, that's just freaking amazing. So he was someone I quickly started following. And we just had these really nice interactions on Twitter. And then he happened to be it you know, <laughs> the big subject of every podcast, it seems to be Heroes Con and there, you know, Jeremy and I had a great, you know, some great hangs there. So um really happy to get him on the show talking, you know, design and how that informs his comic making. You know, we talked about, you know, his books, Rad Tuffman and Ruby and Rubbish, which is his ongoing series. And then the work that he's done with the Word Bros on Mystic Melon. I really get a charge out of talking to people that see comics in a way that I didn't see comics when I was drawing them. And I so freaking appreciate it. And it just makes me happy. So um, I hope you dig the talk. And uh, yeah, this is me and Jeremy Brooks. I do find that that graphic design and comic books are drawing comics um, are very similar in that way where you have no idea until you start doing it, how much just you're having to learn on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of similarities between the two. And I, I've done, I've been a graphic de- designer for probably 20 years now. And uh, it's, it's, I will say it's helped me a lot uh, when I approach drawing comics. Mm. So what do you, I mean, what is it do you feel that sort of your experience with graphic design, how that, how you approach the book, the book, you know, the artwork in the book, and what do you think the sort of superpowers that it gives you? Mm. Well, I think having done both, I understand, I think a lot of times some people may not understand the difference between sequential pages and what that means uh, and what that looks like versus doing a cover. So I know when I do something like a cover design that that has to have um, different kind of, uh, I have to take a different approach to that because it's meant to be seen most likely from a distance. Mm-hmm. You can't have a lot of just small cluttered elements um, in my opinion so that it grabs the viewer right away mm-hmm. uh, at a glance because that that could be all you get is a glance um sequential um with sequential work you know people are <laughs> we like to think that they spend a lot of time on each panel pouring over it <laughs> <laughs> but they're going to be going from uh from caption to you know um word bubble glancing over the art, unless you're like an artist like me, where I, I like to take my time and <laughs> kind of look through the art. Cause mm. that's what brought me to comics in the first place. But, uh, anyways, to get back to your question, 
Um, so it's, it's helped the, the graphic design background has helped from that approach. And then anytime I have to do stuff on the fly, like a logo design, um, or when I have to do, um, layout or book design mm-hmm. and stuff like that, I can fall back on a lot of things that I have learned in 20 years of experience. Yeah. Um, and kind of pick right up if I, if I need to. Yeah. And they kind of inform one another. I mean, you know, <clears throat> I probably designed dozens of logos before I actually was hired to design a logo because, mm-hmm. you know, villain of the week in this comic book or whatever villain of the month needed some sort of logo. So you made it up and you did, you know, you did your level best to figure it out. And so then you hop into the world of graphic design. You're like, oh, okay, cool. And I think the two can have like for you and others who do both like painting and drawing, they can kind of inform one another and build, you know, build up whatever skill sets you need kind of hopping back and forth. Yeah, it, and you mentioned character design. That's another thing I think it kind of, it it helps with just uh, um, my approach to to drawing a character. You know, um, I just put a lot of emphasis on that uh, personally. Mm-hmm. I I think that's something that um, maybe. Some people don't view the same way as I do. Like they may do a couple passes and then say, that's good enough, you know, (laughs) let the story carry the rest of it. But when I approach a story, like that's the first thing I think about is like, I got to make some cool characters, (laughs) you know, (laughs) whether that's from the way they look to the way they behave or what, you know, if I'm writing for myself. Uh, that make, that makes total sense because I can th- I, I'm thinking back to being a kid, and you know the elements that kind of drew me. And if I could do an ABC, like I I really honestly think how the character look looks is like the number one thing. That's the attractor, you know. Yeah, and kind of going back sure. to your discussion on the um, you know, the cover and the interior artwork, and you and I and you made me realize something when you were saying it, which I don't think I'd ever really identified was that yeah i mean we all know that the cover is meant to be seen sort of across an aisle or maybe across a room and go oh that's really cool looking let me go look at that but it's not a personal experience as much as the interior artwork because the interior artwork is this time of you sitting somewhere with this object but the cover while you can take the same time and look at it it really is meant as an attractor you know, you know, live dancing girls and it's, you know, the light flashing, you know, that's like, okay, you got my attention. What is this? Um, and, and that's the graphic design principle of the one, two, three principle, which is like one, you should be able to see this from down the road and you should be able to get this a level information down the road. And then, you know, B, you should be standing, you know, sort of across the room and be able to get the second level of information. And then when you're up to it, you get this third, you know, level C type of information, which is the sort of the, the detail, you know, there's the body copy, there's, there's the nuance, but it's this kind of one, two, three thing. And I think for comic books, I think you get more two and three, uh, in that, in that relation. 
And I think that's, that's really cool. I, I, I don't think I had really made that translation of the two. Yeah. It's probably a subconscious thing yeah. for you that by this point, right. <laughs> You've been I, doing it both for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah. And it, look, once again, going back to like, I mean, I spent 10 years right out of school doing comics. I don't think I thought a whole hell of a lot about it. It was, mm-hmm. and I, and I was thinking about that, you know, looking at your work and on the drive to my writing office this morning, I was thinking about, you know, the huge privilege of writing versus drawing comic books and, and writing in general is that you do a draft and then you revise this draft and you revise this draft again and you share this draft with people and they're like, oh, hey, I really dug this. I really didn't dig that. You can make your changes. Maybe you have an editor who can give you feedback. I mean, these are really wonderful things. But like there isn't that really in the comic book world. You're not like sending your thumbnails to people to say, so what do you think? What do you think? You know, because we're not so far judged on that storytelling aspect as we are on that sort of finished art aspect. And that takes time. Mm-hmm. And like, so like you're sort of making finished sentences and paragraphs with your, with your hand and the drawing aspect, but there's very little opportunity to change that. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's, uh, it's a lot easier to say, uh, <laughs> to tell a writer to change page one than it is to tell an artist, <laughs> hey, change page one. You know, can you just make this real quick uh, revision? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, you know, when page one can be a sentence mm-hmm. uh, or less for, for writers and, you know, but it'll take an artist eight hours <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> the case oh, totally. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is, you know, artwork, you know, drawing and writing are infinitely malleable, but one seems to be far more set and concrete, you know, when Mm -hmm. in a finished form, when a writer can come in and go, oh, that's not exactly what we wanted is that the script said, but you can take language and change the meaning and intention by the language that you put on onto the paper, into the bubbles of whatever sort there are. So then you can kind of guide the reader toward the goal that you want if the artwork doesn't make them you know, make the mark in that respect mm-hmm. yeah. yeah absolutely it's it's I, yeah i mean it's it's fascinating i i yeah i i did you know I, i'm i'm like such an ultimate champion of like you know the artist has a, all this sort of burden you know of effort you know placed upon them for the for, for the book and you know, so I like to champion, champion that one. Meanwhile, I'm, you know, I write, so I barely, I barely draw anymore. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a traitor to writers and a, you know, a hero to the, to the artist, I guess, maybe in that mm-hmm. sense. Um, yeah. And when you write and draw for yourself, you know, you're often at odds. <laughs> yeah. Writer, writer, you and artist, you are often like, <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Many, many guests on the show have been very much like there's writer me and then there's artist me and artist me hates writer me like you know like what was i thinking you know mm-hmm. um do you are now do you do you write like a artist like do you sit there and do you thumbnail out your story or do you sit mm-hmm. and write out your story no so my my writing process that i've kind of developed is i'll basically i'll have in just like a notes app 
I'll have the title of the book in however many pages it is. So I'll number mm -hmm. like, let's say it's 24, one to 24. And I'll, I will just literally do like a sentence. This is at the very beginning stage mm -hmm. when I'm first writing it out. I'll have a sentence for what's going to happen on each page. And that's how I start. And I just kind of, be, as, you, as I do as with, with drawing, I kind of continue to build that, that out. Mm -hmm. So I'll take that sentence and then maybe I'll break down what happens in each panel. Right. And then from there, you know, and maybe throw in some dialogue, you mm -hmm. know, along the way. But I do find that I, I write a lot of dialogue after I've drawn it just sure. because, you know, maybe what I've drawn doesn't reflect a lot of, you know, what's, or I think of something better. I think of a better bit or something, you know. You well, I'm drawing it. So. You better, Jeremy. You better yeah, draw no. something better, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Do you, I mean, so like, I mean, I, I love the idea that you're just taking the sort of the pages and just going, you know, sentence, sentence, sentence. Do you, mm -hmm. are you viewing, are you viewing kind of the pages and that not, not, not sort of strictly as, but do you view them as scenes? Like I'm just, okay, here's a scene, here's a scene, here's a scene, you know, maybe a few pages constitute a scene but you you kind of like in yeah. your head you kind of know like okay this is what i want to happen here and, and the, those sentences sort of constitute the scene yeah and i kind of have a better sense now when i flesh that a little bit when i flesh out the book a little bit more i have a better sense of like okay this scene might be going on for a little too long or there's too many beats to hit within this one book like there's just too much happening like mm -hmm. i need to kind of slow down or uh, you know, so I think doing working this way helps me kind of, um, I used to have a program called Scrivener, uh, which is a mm -hmm. uh, screenwriting app. I, I think it is and had these little index cards and you could kind of digitally move, put like a, a scene on an index card and, and kind of move it around as you needed to. Um, and I've kind of created my own system for that now. Um, but it kind of helps me to look back, look at the whole thing in a glance mm -hmm. and see, you know, okay, well this, this is taking too long. I'm spending too much time here. Um, or I'm not spending enough time here right. or I was just in this area and yet I'm going back to it already. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I need to take some more time in between if that makes any sense. No, it, it totally does. And, and, you know, you're touching on software and I think it's really interesting because we live, you know, we live in a digital world now where software is so <clears throat> important to how we get our work done. And I use Scrivener for writing, like it's my writing program, but like you, I use, a, you know, a, a note sort of kind of program for my development work. So I have a program called Things where I'm, mm -hmm. I can, I, so I have it all broken down different projects and whatever, and I'll just dump note after note after note, but interesting to your methodology with the cards, you can grab each, each sort of line element and you can drag it up and down, you know, and, and reorder it, which oh, kind nice. of works like, kind of works like what you're saying. But the beauty of it as a program for me is that it syncs with my phone, my laptop, 
in my iPad. So I, I, yeah. I can have access to whatever I need, wherever I am. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I'm, I'm a big fan. I mean, doing, you know, even, even with my artwork, digital has made such a going digital has made such a huge difference in what mm-hmm. I do. So it's made my whole process so much faster. Um, it was, I can remember it was the point probably when I got an iPad and started using Procreate that right. it just sped everything up for me. Yeah. I, I buy, I, I've said it a few times, but I buy all the, the sort of the digital art making programs because I'm curious about them. I don't, mm-hmm. I, it's foolish in so many ways because I really can't justify the expense, but I'm like, well, it's 24 bucks. Oh, it's a 50 bucks, whatever. I'm like, I don't care. Like at the time I'm like, yeah, let me check it out. And they're very cool. Like I think Procreate is really, really rad. I don't, the only things I've heard that are negatives about it are the, the file processing for printing because it's such a digital environment. It doesn't seem to have the same sort of robust exporting uh, features that a, that a Photoshop has mm-hmm. um but yeah but it has a lot less uh headaches i think <laughs> yeah um and it's a lot easier just to pick for me to pick up and go I, I still have to use photoshop a lot with uh for work and so doing it this way on procreate for me it helps me kind of remove myself from the work mm-hmm. mindset <laughs> mm. to more of the just where i'm playing you know and having fun Oh, that makes, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, my, my equivalent to that was when I was trying to give myself permission to write prose, I would sit in my, my studio office and I would open up the file and I would, I'd never get anything done because I was in my workspace and I was Mm -hmm. on my work computer and I'm sure I had my email open. I mean, all the things that were, were working against me and, um, I think that there's like, there's something highly important about being able to separate these elements in your life. If you are going to try to, you know, do them. Yeah. And going back to what you said about getting every program, every app, um, it made me think of like, even before starting to use digital software and stuff, when you would start a new project and you'd be like, well, let me try this pen or this brush or this pencil, like always looking for the perfect thing. That's going to make like (laughs) that project just the best it can be. And sometimes not even starting the project. (laughs) It's almost an excuse sometimes to be like, well, you know, I'll, I'll start that when I have the right brush or whatever, you know, but I haven't found that yet. It's well, I mean, isn't it the, it's the uh, art supply equivalent, you know, you know, going, well, let me go to the art supply store and see if there's something there, like just yeah. to, to inspire you to do the it thing. Kinda, I mean, it does jazz you up. Yeah. You know, when you're in an art store, anything is possible. You're like, oh man, I could oh. totally use this. This is going to be the best book I've ever made. And then, right. you know, you never even start it. <laughs> or that was my case um, before I went digital because I found the whole traditional um, analog process just, uh, Oh no, it was just too tedious for me. So I, I, I would end up spinning my wheels a lot and not, mm. not getting anywhere. 
you know, so be like, oh man, I just drew that head and it's almost perfect, but it's a little <laughs> bit too big. So right. I don't want to erase it and yeah. make it, you know, start all over again. So it's, it's, it's so it's a huge reason, reason why, um, I've been so much more productive since going digital. <laughs> right. Did so wait, when, when was it that you were first kind of venturing into doing comic books on, on a traditional route? Oh, well, I mean, you know, I was always playing around with comics as a kid, mm -hmm. but I think most of what I did was just like character, character drawings. Sure. When I was a kid, I, I didn't, I don't remember making a lot of comics. Um, but you know, once after college sometime, I think it was around 2007 or so I took a trip to heroes. Um, the first heroes convention I ever went to, and it kind of just got me jazzed up about comics again in general, because mm -hmm. I had kind of taken a break from reading comics, um, for a while. And, uh, that kind of got me back into it. And I started having ideas for my own comics and, but it took, I would get in that same trouble where I would, I have so many comics that I would start and get a few pages in and then stop. Yep. Cause I was either growing, you know, as an artist and I'd hate the first few pages and want to yep. start all over again, or I would just get an, another idea would come along and I'd be like, Ooh, wait, what if I did this? And <laughs> mm -hmm. I just was so, I think a lot of people who make comics come into it from the art side versus right. the writer, writer side. So my, from a writer standpoint, like I was not um, finalizing any scripts as yep. much as I should have before I started drawing. So mm -hmm. I would get into my drawing and then I would change too much over the course of a few pages. So I'd end up starting over again or jumping to something different that came along, you know? Um, so yeah, finally, I think it was around 2017 or so. And I'd been trying for years right. to make a book. I'd be going to conventions with these ideas and, you know, I'd be that guy who was like, Oh yeah, I've got this idea for a book, you know? And finally I was just like, I've been saying this every year. I'm, I'm <laughs> sick of hearing it from myself. Yeah. It's like, I just have to make a thing, you know? So I remember reading to my daughter who was seven or so at the time. And, um, the idea of doing a, a kid's book was something that I could, at least from a writing standpoint, was something I could wrap my head around. Mm -hmm. And the idea of doing like, oh, I'll do a, a drawing per page, you know? Yeah. And if I, I keep it as simple as that, you know, however many pages it ends up being, but then I'll have a finished thing. So I made a kid's book first off called Rad Tuffman and the Trouble With Me. And it was basically mm -hmm. just this wrestler. It was like a Saturday morning cartoon, like Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling or something. If you remember that show from the eighties, but, um, it just was something to get me started. 
And I did that on a Cintiq, um, which again, helped me just get something finished. Cause I, now I had a digital, uh, a way to do it digitally right? and perfect it without having to go back and change everything that yeah. I've already done. Well, there's, yeah. oh, go ahead. No, no finish up. No, I was just going to say that I got the ball ro- rolling. The, the next year I was able to come back um, and make like a short comic with that Rad Tuffman character. Mm-hmm. It was maybe like eight pages or maybe 10 pages. I don't know. Right. But I was slowly kind of, once I got that one thing finished, <laughs> right. it helped get everything else going. I, you know, I mean, I am, I, I mean, listen, people I've known for 30 years still have that same thing. And I, and I know the, I know the struggle. I mean, I had it myself in so many different ways. I remember, I don't know, 10 ish years ago, I remember having this sort of moment of, um, I have all these loose ends, like all these unfinished things. And I would, and so I, I started kind of going through this, I don't know what it was, but I was just going through all these old pieces, works or whatever that was unfinished and try to finish them. Cause I felt like, okay, like I karmically, I'm going to like purify myself. Um, and I, I totally get what you're saying. And I, and I think that there's a lot of pressure when we try to do the thing that we really love to like, if it doesn't meet up with this sort of like hopeful vision in our head, it becomes very much, a, you know, an uncomfortable situation pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And that other thing, when you were saying about, you know, you didn't write your thing out, you started drawing it, man, I've, that is so common where what you end up doing is you end up rewriting yourself into a corner, you know, because you just keep on, oh, no, 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 wait. oh, no, 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 wait, because you didn't, you didn't write this thing out to the end. You didn't have a target to go to. And so what happens is you just kind of get frustrated. Um, so I, I, I totally recognize that. I mean, it, yeah. and it happens in writing. If you don't take the time to give yourself the space to like you, like you say, like just write a sentence for each page. Don't, don't overwhelm yourself. Don't go like, Oh, I'm a terrible at writing dialogue. So I can't do this job don't write the dialogue, write the actions, you know, and, and, and then fix it, you know, and work on it and make it that thing. So, uh, yeah, I think when you're starting out, you're always trying to just make, you're trying to make the perfect thing uh-huh. versus just making a thing, you know, because if, if it's your, if it's the first thing you're finishing, it's never going to, it's just not going to be perfect because you're learning so much and it may be perfect. You may, even if you think it's perfect at the time, you're going to look back and go, Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I used to think this was, you know, (laughs) pretty good, but. Oh yeah. uh, Yeah. Then you see all the flaws and you're just, it's because you're growing it, but you can't, you can only see that in the rear view. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I just, I really feel like it's an amazingly bold effort in your heart to say, I give myself permission to do this. Like, I know it sounds hokey and new agey to say this kind of shit, but the bottom line is it's really tough to say, I'm going to do this thing. It's like Mm. standing there and someone's got their fists up and like a fight is going to happen. 
Now, like, and, and maybe, and you've done everything you can to not be in the fight, you know, but there's a point when you're going to have to say, I'm going to have to do this because I'm going to get hit. So like, and that's what sort of making a thing is. It's saying you're willing to take the hit. And I think being able to give yourself that permission, but you have to have a caveat to that permission that it's not going to be great. And that's okay. You know? Yeah, I think I've almost swung the complete opposite direction where, uh, you know, when I, when I first started trying to make a comic, I wanted it to look like a cartoon and I, I wanted to be, I wanted it to be super clean and perfect. Mm-hmm. And now I've swung so far to where I'm like, Oh, I love, I love these imperfections so much. Right. It makes it interesting. Yeah. So I want to lean into that more. Um, wait, oh, that dude, that's so crazy. So what did I, I wrote that today. <laughs> I wrote, I, I, I mean, not the exact same thing, but I wrote what you, your, what your phrase, your sort of the meaning of your thing. So, and, and so I, yeah, I was in, I was in a doctor's appointment and I was just talking to the nurse and I said, you know, well, imperfection is nature's way to keep things interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, that's kind of the whole thing. Like, I think we, you know, we want to be perfect because that's sort of like this ideal, idealistic thing. But I mean, and that's like, so, okay. We're gonna, uh, if you know, if you don't know already, I hop around a bit. Um, that's all right, man. The, so like, I love your comic book work, but I, you know, I, and I remember gushing you know, when we were hanging out together, how much I absolutely dig your take on sort of established characters. So I see you do a drawing of character acts. I'm like, damn it. That's fucking amazing. You know, cause it's just so cool. And well, thank you. Oh, well, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, <laughs> you know, Hey, rule number one, make, make the guest feel loved. Um, <laughs> but like, I, like, where does, where did that, like, where did that sort of ideal come to you? Because it, it's not what, like, in all our talking to this point, except for when you said the imperfection part, like there is this sort of, you know, lover of comic books. I mean, like, cause comic books typically don't look the way you draw. Like you have a really kick-ass, like, look to your work. Hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, I You know. I think that um, a heavy influence uh, in the in the last few years of mine was uh, there's an artist named Work Johnson Cadwell. Oh, dude, yeah, sure, yeah, and he has this such a like whimsy to his does to his um, character design and. Uh, just just everything he does is is not tied to perfection in any way. But mm-hmm. you can tell that he's having a blast. And it's, it, to me, most importantly, it's interesting. Um, it's the, the perspective is not um, always perfect. And, but I don't think that's something that he obsesses over. And right. as, a, as a viewer, I'm 100% fine with that because I, underst- I am more interested in an interesting drawing than in something that is uh, 
a hundred percent spot on because I guess with everything digital too, these days, like you can make so much stuff just in a, a program or render it or, um, so I can see someone's hand in it versus mm. just it looking like a computer made it. That became a little bit more um, of an emphasis for me as well. It's just like, I want me to come across and not whatever program I'm using. Right. Um, so seeing his work and also um, Scotty Young was a, a big influence in me a few, before that. Um, I remember he was pretty clean for a while. His artwork was, his style was pretty clean. Mm-hmm. And then he started inking with a, or experimenting with a brush and it became, his style became a lot more loose. And yep. in some ways, I guess that gave me permission to kind of not be so tight with my own, my own stuff, because I was trying to be that for a while. I was trying to be perfect. And I hated it. Like it was so boring to me. I mm. was bored. I think it looked like I was bored. Right. <laughs> My, the drawings were not good. They looked stiff. Um, so I was like, you know what? If I'm going to, if this is what comics is, if, if, if making comics is like striving for perfection in every panel, then I, I probably am not going to stick with it because I'm bored to death. So right. I took a took some time off, drew in my sketchbook, and kind of more or less discovered how I like how I enjoy drawing, and tried to stick with that. Um, I don't even know if that answers your question. <laughs> no, no, no. It 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 does because I I think what it what it tracks. So it tracks a couple things for me. One, the first thing I, I feel it tracks is that you, and as you mentioned before, you, you tried to go for this, this sort of perfection, you know, this, this, this like, Hey, I'm going to make this thing really polished. This real, like, you know, like, I think, you know, like, I think you were for, referring to the Scotty's like old new warrior. I think it was new warriors that he did for yeah. Marvel, which has got this sort of very closer to tr- traditional comic book look, but animated, very clean, very polished, very nice. And then if you look at what he's doing now, like they really don't have much of a sort of a continuity thread in the visual aspects. But the other thing that you said, which I think is really like important is that you went back to, you know, to the the source for you, if that's a sketchbook and you just went into your sketchbook and you would just draw whenever you would want to draw and draw whatever you want to draw. No sort of like agenda. And from that, you know, as, as if it was a design project, you looked at all the swipe, you know, of this giant mood board. And you said, all right, I can see the things that I think are the ones that are kind of making the most sense and make it now. Can I do, can I take all that and make it into one thing? Can I, can I, you know, bring it into one thing and there you go. And that's sort of, I feel like where you landed. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I wasn't drawing then as much as I should either. So a lot of that came with just experimenting and doing it more. Um, And I was, I also, you know, making the digital leap, I could, I used to hate traditionally, I would, I like to, I I prefer to draw small. I can see everything. Um, So when I'm doing thumbnails or something, 
Mm -hmm. uh, I have to draw pretty small to get the composition and everything right. <laughs> so um, I would do tiny little thumbnails and then I'd have to blow those up and then I would draw over that, scan that in, print it out, you know, ink over that or right. possibly draw over it again to get it to more of the way to my liking. Um, and I hated that process because it was, I was drawing the same thing over and over again. And when I made the digital leap, you know, I can put down a layer of blue, blue lines, and then I can go right into my finished drawing after that, basically. Um, so that's, that's helped me keep a lot of that energy that I'm looking for on the page and just mm -hmm. interest. And I don't, it's, it's easy for me not to obsess over everything being perfect. Um, Cause I, I'm more interested in just getting it down and uh, having fun with it. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, and I think, you know, and I, I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't have, I don't have visual examples of what the, the early stuff was, which was unsatisfactory to you versus, mm -hmm. you know, what you're doing now. Um, but what you're describing definitely shows up on the, on the, you know, on the, on the page as it, yeah. you know, as it were. Um, Thank you. you know, and I think, I think about like with your, like with, with art that you make and, you know, people that you, you've been mentioning and, and many others that I, I, I feel that there's almost like an unlimited potential when the artwork becomes stylized and highly stylized, because I, I feel that like you know, a traditional comic book artist and all the chops that you have to have to be that sort of comic book creator is really sort of specific, you know, especially mm -hmm. now it falls into this category of sort of mainstream comic book artwork, which is even questionable at this point, but still predominantly at Marvel or DC. And I look at stylized artists such as yourself, which I would love to see you drawing this, you know, Marvel comic. That would be, that'd be rad. Um, but I, I see all these people and this is what the graphic novel world is made of. Um, this is what the indie comic world of stories that aren't just fights and tights specifically mm -hmm. is compri comprised of. And and I, and I look at it and I go, oh, yeah, that's, this is because it's not contextual in style. You know, like if I, comic book artist of 1998, was drawing, like had your script for your comic book, you know, you know, for Ruby and Rubbish, it wouldn't be the same comic book. It would be, it, it would oh, be yeah. like, what is this weird, normal looking comic book? It doesn't work, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I understand. It, it, yeah. And it, it's interesting. And I'm not knocking the sort of the traditional stuff because I, you know, there's a certain formality to it that, I, that you want to see. Like, I mean, if you shot an episode of, oh, I was going to pull Charles in charge, but name, name a sitcom, you know, let's go, <laughs> let's go Seinfeld. In charge. Yeah. Yeah. But like, if you, if you picked a really, you know, famous sitcom, but you shot it, cinematically like a film i don't think it would be funny mm -hmm. oh. 
Did I lose you? No, oh, no, I just stopped talking. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you froze, the screen froze up too. For oh, a okay. There. So, yeah, no, I 100% see what you're saying. And, and like, you know, it doesn't hurt that I write for myself either. So I probably am playing to my strengths right. a lot of times, you know? Mm-hmm. So it can't help but look like what was intended <laughs> or, or to be the best product possible or the best product it can be mm-hmm. when, when I'm writing and drawing for myself, because it's just me coming out, you know, as much as I can realize that on the page. Yeah. So those, those writer me and artist me, I think are starting to sync up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I try, you know, you want to play to your strengths at, at, at the same time you want to challenge yourself and keep it interesting, you know, and, and push yourself to do new stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I 100% see what you're saying. And I, and to me, I really appreciate it when someone comes and says, Oh, I love your style. You know, um, I've never seen X done this way mm-hmm. because a lot of people caution against even doing fan art as a, as an artist. Um, because they say, you know, people are just coming to you for those characters. They don't care what else you're going to do, you know? Right. Which I, I understand in some ways, but I think if you're someone who can, if you can put, infuse yourself into that character um, as much as possible, then they're getting both. The, the fans of that character are getting you as well. Mm-hmm. And you're not doing yourself a disservice in my opinion. Yeah. And I mean, you know, listen, the bulk of the characters out there come from Marvel and DC. So that fan market is pretty large. And I th- kind of feel like you're slipping some, you know, some vegetables into the, into the, into the, <laughs> into the serving with this, you know, by, by offering and, and not just specifically you, but if you're offering that drawing of Wolverine and it's your style, people are going to go like, Oh, I love Wolverine, but I really kind of dig this version of it. I I want that. And that's, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's great because it's like traveling, you know, you're expanding a person's sort of horizon versus just yeah. another kick-ass drawing of Wolverine, which is great. You know, we all want to see Wolverine kicking ass. Well, yeah, and, you know, social media is what it is. You can never gauge really reality from that. But I can say from my experience, just even at Heroes Con uh, a few weeks ago, I had all my books, Ruby and Rubbish and Mystic Melon. And then to the side, I had two prints that I was offering of Cyclops and Mr. Sinister. Mm-hmm. And people that would catch people's eye but then they would be interested in the books also. Yeah. So I think it can be both. It doesn't have to be I'm Mr. Indie guy or I'm <laughs> Mr. Mainstream guy. You can yeah. play to both, I think. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to wear a, like a beret and, a, and wear a turtleneck to, to, to <laughs> yeah, maybe to, I should. That would, well, I mean, listen, it, it, whatever the outfits working is working for Jamie Jones. I figure you That's can, right. you know, maybe you design your own outfit. Um, Actually, the, the, tie, the turtleneck would fit really well within like the work with your comic book work. 
you yeah, know, it's too hot though in Charlotte. Of course, oh, was, you're right. They kept it cold inside, but it was uh, so cold. <laughs> it was so cold. Like I got I had the benefit of running around, but it was freezing. I bought a hoodie in June in Charlotte. I mean, it was insane. Yeah, but I would rather have it that way in mm-hmm. the convention center. You don't want it to be eighty degrees. <laughs> oh, it would, yeah, there would be zero sales. It, yeah. The only people would be selling would be the people selling, you know, soda pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was the show for you? It, I mean, as always, it was great. It, it's the funniest show in that it makes me want to do more shows while at the same time making me want not want to do any other shows <laughs> because it's so good that I know no other show is going to like compare <laughs> to my experience at Heroes. It's just like, just the fact that people come looking for new stuff mm-hmm. is, is huge. And books, you know, they want, yeah. they want to find comic books. It's a comic book show. And, um, you know, I don't do a lot of shows, but, I just don't see that happening uh, at, at any other con these days. Right. So. I, I think I think one of the core elements of that is is the fact that they put the indie island smack dab in the center of yeah. That doesn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you you really you it's hard to walk into that place and not walk <clears throat> into indie island. So you're mm-hmm. going to you know, the, the, the indie people are going to reap the benefits of the people who are coming in to look at artwork because you're going to pass through the retailers and you go straight in there and you're going to run into a bunch of people who are passionately making their own thing, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and then you have the opportunity to walk the, you know, to the East and the West, if that's the, the direction, you know, and then see, Oh my God, that's the person who draws, Ghost Rider. Oh my gosh, that's the person who draws this. And then you get you you get that whole sort of kind of a sandwich, you know, of of comic books um, with the side of whatever was happening around the corner. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel feel sorry for the big giant names over in the around the corner. But anyway, um, yeah, there were there were some that were way out of the way. Dude, Linneal Yu, who might be the biggest name in mainstream comics in that building was just like next to the bathrooms around the corner. I'm like, oh, that seems yeah. odd. <laughs> but you know, hey, that's I mean, where I started. <laughs> well, right. well, I mean, he explained <laughs> it. He, he, he said that they landed, they were in LA the previous week for a meeting. And oh. so when they were heading over, Linneal asked his manager, like, Hey, keep, are there any shows happening? And the guy's like, well, heroes. And you know, the, the, the amazing folks at heroes are like, yes, please come on by. And, uh, yeah. So they gave him a huge, huge area, but it just, it was really out of the way. And I don't, and I don't think it's on them. They already had their floor plan. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and if you have a long, if you're a creator that has long lines, then, you know, you don't want yeah. to be butted right up against, or they won't want, <laughs> right. the other creators won't want you butted right up against them. No, that's totally true. That's that. I mean, like, Everyone had everyone who had a crowd had a manageable manageable crowd on the main line. Um, yeah. The people who you know need tents of barriers to hold back the masses, put them off in the side. Um, yeah, I guess. Well, that's and that's another thing I love about Heroes is that they 
put so much thought, uh, Seth and Carla uh, put so much thought into where people are positioned in that show. Mm -hmm. Where some cons, I I feel like, don't put any thought into it. Um, So, yeah. So the curation they, is they do it right. Yeah, the curation is really top notch. Um yeah, I mean you know, I'm curious about like, you know, traveling north to go check out like um Baltimore because I think Baltimore has one of these kind of lineups which seems kind of magical and unreal as well as Terrificon in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. It looks like, like how are you getting all these, you know, a a level talent in Uncasville, Connecticut. Like I don't, you know, <laughs> maybe they're giving them free uh, some free chips at the casino. I don't know, but whatever it is, that mm-hmm. they're getting some good people coming in there. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, hats off to heroes. You said something earlier about heroes, which I'm just really interested to kind of dig into. Is that you said that when you went there in 2007? after sort of being away from comics for a long time and, you know, you left inspired, but do you have any sort of like memory moments of being there and the things that you, that inspired you? Like, did, was it seeing like, Oh my gosh, that's the person who drew that comic book that I loved or getting your hands on something that you had never seen before. Like, was it something or is it just the experience? I think when I went back that year, it wasn't so much, there weren't a, a lot of creators that I was familiar with because I've been out of the loop for so long. So, you know, I grew up reading mid to late eighties, nineties comics, mm-hmm. you know, early nineties comics. Um, and I don't remember seeing a lot of those guests there. So I, I think it was just um, kind of just getting back into, I did chat with some creators and, I think I just picked up a few books for the first time in a long time. And that kind of just was enough to get things going again. Um, I, I, I feel like I picked up um, and maybe I'm, my time is off here, but I remember getting umbrella Academy. It, I, I don't know that it was that year, but it wasn't too much further from that. And that was pretty pivotal for me. Um, Mm -hmm. it was just one of those comics that was like, unlike anything I had read, uh, before and just, it was kind of like X-Men, but, um, but it had this darker kind of, um, I I don't know. There's an underpinning to it. Yeah. Yeah. And that really resonated with me. Did you ever read the, uh, you know, that sort of first, I don't know, three years of um, the New Mutants? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, like, that's what was so attractive about that book was that it was the X-Men, but there was something, there was something wasn't right in that, in that world. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I think it took Chris a little while to kind of go, okay, wait, I have a, I sort of have a, I can go a little deeper here. Like I'm, I don't want to keep doing the X-Men. I want to kind of go deeper. And I think that was Gen X, you know, generation X was kind of that as well. That kind of, Mm -hmm. that kind of took that whole ethos of the new mutants and kind of went a little deeper. And then I kind of feel that, you know, the umbrella Academy was yet another dive lower. I just love it when they take, um, 
going back to the X-Men and it just, you know, main, more mainstream stream stuff. I just like it when they take chances like that, Mm -hmm. like having Sam Keith do Wolverine is like, I mean, you look back at that and it's like, wow, I can't believe (laughs) this guy was, uh, you know, on this book. Right. Um, Cause his, his art is just, to most people would just be absolutely bonkers, yeah. you know? And I, I just know how, you know, how fans can be. It's like, that was not my Wolverine. Right. <laughs> so right. I, I imagine if I were ever to draw Wolverine, people would just hate it, you know? Yeah. Or most people would. Um, but I don't know about, me, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that, but I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. You get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, it's not the, um, it's just not the typical mainstream book. And I think, so I think there's a resilient here. Here's a, here's a distinction. Like I remember having this conversation with the head, with the head of the, 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 um, X-Men office a long, long time ago. And they were, they were trying to sort of strategize, like how do we get more people interested in the X-Men? And and I remember saying to them, like, well, you should get like artists like the Panda Brothers, like these kind of really cool, hip, way out there kind of comic artists to do it. And aside from the fact that I don't think they knew who I was speaking about, the point was, is that they didn't understand that value. And even this is me pre-doing any graphic design, I realized, oh, they don't understand their brand. Like they did, like to, to me in that conversation, they didn't understand that the value of the X-Men exceeded the value of the artist or creator on the title. So you could put nearly anybody on the X-Men and the comic book will sell. And that's not to say that the artist isn't important, but it's, 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 you know, it's Wolverine, you know, you gotta, you gotta, people gotta get their fix of the man with the claws. And I get that. So you could do the thing. And so when you do put a Sam Keith, you know, on a Wolverine, the world may say like, oh, this isn't, this doesn't look like the cool ass Adam Kubert artwork or Andy Kubert. I don't know who was doing it, but like, but it's so cool that ultimately you go like, I kind of like this, you know, it's like hearing that song by a band that you never heard of, but that ultimately you're like, this is really kind of (laughs) cool. Yeah. And what better book to do with, I mean, you could tell any story with those characters, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and that goes with any, anything, um, from the big two. I mean, you, you could tell any story you want. It's, it doesn't have to be in continuity. Right. You know? And well, isn't, I, I, I think I would just like to see a lot more of that done of where anybody could just pick of course, it up. Of course. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, listen, man, these are, these are, you know, these are (laughs) multi-billion dollar franchises and the comic books, while they are the source material, they are not the core, you know, money generator. They are like third, fourth, fourth in line, maybe in that, in that aspect, you know, we got movies, we got, we got licensing deals, we've got cartoons, got TV shows way at the bottom, you know, sits the comic book. And when it comes to the revenue stream, um, and it's real kind of tough for, you know, for that respect. So they're like, we need to keep people on the hook. we got to have them coming back next month because we got to keep them on the storyline. And I, I get it, but I also think like, 
Yeah, but a great story is a great story. And it can be one issue. It can be 20 issues. I don't care. Just give me a good story. Um, and I think that you never know what's going to come from that story. Right. Like totally. Maybe people gravitate to that and it, you have a whole something else that's spun off from that completely. Yeah. It, or you change your direction based on. <laughs> totally. I mean, it's like, it's like this, this, you know, how many movies did we get that reminded you of the matrix after the matrix came out? You know, Holly's like, Holly was like, well, that's what people yeah. want. We should give them more of that. And like, yeah, we want more matrix, but we don't want more fake, fake tricks. You know, we want the real thing. And, you know, and that's sort of the, the reaction of, you know, the people who don't make stuff, you know, compared to the people who make stuff, um, you, you go, yeah. well, we need to have car chases and love scenes. Um, well, it's like, I think everybody's trying to make spider verse now. Mm -hmm. They don't know what makes spider verse spider verse. <laughs> You know, apparently, yeah, they got they they got a hold of like some some of Doctor Strange's magic because they're just they they're just killing it with these two movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't think the second one. I, I was optimistic, but I didn't think it would come anywhere close to the first. Uh -huh. You know, because that movie is just like it's a perfect comic book movie. It's perfect. Yeah. It's just from start to finish, mm -hmm. it's just a perfect film. And, but then the second one blew me away. Yeah. I mean, I still need to watch it again because I feel like there was so much happening. There is. That I just don't have time to wrap your mind around. But, no. um, man, it was unbelievable. Well, the, I mean, the, let's just, let's just not, you know, ignore story. It's just the artistic merit and the oh, level yeah. that they strove for and they hit. You know, I mean, I, I'm I'm married to a non-comic book person who, you know, politely endures the comic book part of my life. Um, and we went to go see it and she just kept going, oh, my God, that's beautiful. Like, I love how they did. Like, she just kept like referring to the visual aspect of it throughout the story on top of all the story elements. It, it's it's too good. Yeah, I think I'd finished the second Ruby and Rubbish just before seeing that movie. And I saw <laughs> across the spider verse and I was like, ah, uh, I could have pushed it further. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But we'll save it for the next one or, or whatever. But it, it does, you do as a creative person, I, you can't help but leave that movie and just be inspired to just, I think, take some chances and do different, different things. That's what I take away from it the most. It's uh -huh. like, you can do anything that you want. You know? I love, I, I love that. I love that takeaway. And I, you know, that's, I think, you know, what it is. I think I'm, I'll, I'll pull that and that'll be the opening. That'll be the opening clip for this, this episode, because <laughs> I, man, like it, it is, that's the thing, you know, like take that chance, take it, you know, yeah, because you know, the, the, I mean, the bottom line is what is your take on the thing? Whatever the thing is that you're doing, what's your take on it? Because who cares what you think somebody else's take is on it? Don't do that. Do your take. And that's what we want. Yeah. You know, that's what we, that's ultimately what people who are into something want. And, and I think that's the people that are trying to copy Spider-Verse. They don't understand that it's not so much what's happening in that movie. It's like, like, I don't want to go away and make the next Spider-Verse. 
right. <laughs> after seeing that movie. I want to, but it, but it makes me want to push it for like push what I'm doing further. Mm -hmm. Just be excited about what I'm making and just you know, uh, like okay, perfectly. Miles says I'm going to do me right mm -hmm. at the yeah. spoilers. No. Sorry, I should have said this first. That's okay. I don't think you're giving. Uh, I don't think you're too much away there. I don't think that. I'm giving away yeah. the whole movie. But anyways, I, I, that's the feeling you have when you leave that movie. Creatively, I feel like I have to do me and, you know, but I want to do it with my own thing, you know, my own artwork. I don't want to copy. I don't want to make the next Spider-Verse. And you're not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I, and that's, I mean, so let's, let's kind of dovetail that into, into creating, you know, like Ruby and Rubbish. Like that's like your most recent writing artwork, you know, offering. So yeah. What, like, what's like when you like come up with this thing, like, I mean, like all people who come up with an idea, you got this idea, you're like, Oh, that's kind of cool. And then you start kind of fiddling with it and come up, come up with like, if you find enough pieces of the toys, you know, throughout the living room and the bedroom and the hallway that you can assemble something, you're like, okay, I think I can play with this. And then you kind of you mm -hmm. know, run off and you, you, you start sort of, make up these action scenes um like did you like have like when you go like okay i've got this idea like what like what was your take like what was like what am i trying to say with this do you have that kind of approach to it or do you have premise of sort of scenes and build up how do you I, go it yeah i think i it might have been the result of a few different ideas that had I had been just kind of floating around in my head and they kind of gelled together to form one greater thing, mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess. Um, and I remember, I think the story was forming um, right as our, we have a two-year-old now. So when he was born, I had a lot of time to just sit with him and, you know, whether it was nap time or whatever, feeding, uh, you do a lot of just sitting, you know? <laughs> so I had a lot of time to just sit and, and go over ideas. And I am totally blanking on, I, I think it was another, this was the result, Ruby and Rubbish, I think, now that I think about it, was the result of a story that got, I got maybe 12 pages into and then never <laughs> finished. Sure. Um, like I said before, with the traditional stuff, it was like I'd start something and then get a different idea, and then I wouldn't want to do that one. So I think this is me picking up the best parts of that 10-page story or whatever it turned out to be and creating something new from it, but then adding a few things over the years that I've kind of, that kind of seemed to work in that, uh, in that world. Well, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Like putting, you know, putting these pieces together. I love, I love the idea and, you know, it may not be obvious to a lot of people, but like you can steal from yourself, like go take the things that didn't work. Um, you know, it's a, that classic gra graphic design adage. Like there's no wrong answer. Like you can apply it 
eventually did the right thing. So just, yeah. just be patient, have a good, have a good morgue of old ideas and, you know, don't throw them away and, and pull from it. When I think that story wasn't ready quite yet, okay. it was, it was another one that I had started art for too soon. I didn't give myself time enough as a writer to flesh that out before I started drawing. Mm-hmm. And so I abandoned it and, you know, it took a few years to kind of come back around for it to really be what, what it is now. Right. And, you know, a lot of that too, is just life experience, like things you just, that just happen as you're living your life or things that, you know, like my wife and I go into antique shops because we live in a small town and there's not a lot to do (laughs) every once in a while. We'll venture to one of the three, antique shops in our town and see if we stumble onto anything interesting, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so it's stuff like that and just, uh, you know, things that form in the, in the years when you're, yeah. Well, trying to develop it. Sometimes they come easy to you and sometimes they just, it takes a while. (laughs) Yeah. And like Ruby's a collector. Like, is that, is that a reflective, is that a reflection on you as a collector or is it like observational? Yes. Okay. It's, it's probably me. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's probably a lot of, you know, like I said, growing up, my dad was, is a collector Mm -hmm. of his own things, you know? Um, and, and I definitely picked that up with comics and with, uh, you know, baseball, football cards, Mm. um, just the whole card trading card cards in general yeah. when I was a kid. Um, you know, the, I definitely, and just there's a nostalgia is a big thing with me that there's a lot of stuff that Ruby finds and that she has in her shop mm. that is more, you know, that has that nostalgic feel to it that I still, you know, I have, toys from my childhood that I just can't part with. Right. Uh, you know, I'll take them. I took some out the other day and was just looking through them. And I was like, man, <laughs> just the feelings you get when you, when you go back to that stuff. Yeah. It's like you're 10 all over again. Well, I mean, you know, and you know, at the risk of repeating myself, I mean, like my, my, my theory, I, I will, I just, I can't shake my theory of that 12 year old sort of point of view, like where, whatever you loved up to the point of 12 years old becomes this sort of bedrock of excitement and enjoyment for you for the rest of your life. Like someone mentioned the base eater rollers yesterday, like, you know, on Twitter and I'm like, I love the base eater rollers as a kid, you know, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, that was just, you know, you're going to get, you know, laughed at, you know, you know, after the age of like, you know, six or seven, you know, if, your your peers find out you like the base seat rollers, you know, when their bands like kiss around. Yeah, I totally get it though. I mean, it's the stuff when I was around that age that I was drawn to, I still am a fan of, yeah. you know, Pearl Jam is still one of still my favorite band. And that when I was around 11 or so that that's when I discovered them. Right. <laughs> and it's just, it's just something about that age. My daughter is that age. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can just see it with her. Like she's probably finding stuff that she will still, you know, 
look back on and, and appreciate. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's maybe her favorite thing. Right. <laughs> maybe her favorite. Right. And she'll, she'll, you know, she'll be a teenager and she'll be a person in their, her twenties who's going to find stuff that she loves and is passionate about. And, but there'll always be this, you know, the sort of the, the, I don't know, the, the you know, in the programming terms that that back door, you know, you can just get right on in there to that emotional core of yourself because you've connect, reconnected with the thing that makes us happy. And so like, if you were a kid who grew up with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a cartoon that you watched and you loved it and you had the toys like to this day, you're going to go like, I love the turtles. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I do. Right. And, and going back to your Ruby question. Um, so this, the story basically is that she's, she has, she in this, um, she has a, a raccoon robot scavenger, kind of like a scavenger bot mm-hmm. and they go out and the earth is more covered in trash than it, than it, already is and they go through these you know they basically dumpster dive and they try to find these treasures and bring them back to her shop and sell them and uh (laughs) i I was i was kind of talking about this with someone and and i realized like (laughs) when i was around that age when i was around nine or so my dad we had a landfill that was um a few miles away Mm -hmm. from our house and he took me there one time because I think somebody there that worked there had tipped him off or something that there was a piece of furniture or something that he could either have or, or re retool into something else. Mm-hmm. So he went to pick this thing up and I got to just walk out onto the landfill, <laughs> totally unsanitary sure. and only something your dad would let you do, I guess. I don't know. But in the, in the, late eighties, early nineties. And I found a stack of mad magazine comics or mad of mad magazine. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was probably like 12 magazines there and it was the first time I had ever seen mad magazine. Wow. And it was just like, it blew me away. You know, (laughs) he let me bring them home. Uh (laughs) And I used to pour over those things. Wow. But it's funny that I didn't, there was not, it was a total subconscious thing or something that it would come back around in this story that this is something she, I did not, I didn't think about that Mm -hmm. before writing (laughs) Ruby and Rubbish, but it's funny how that works. Yeah. How that works. Well, yeah. I mean, because like, yeah, I mean, part of the job of being a writer is to sort of, amalgamate the world that you see the world that you see coming and the world that you've experienced in the past. And like, you kind of mush these all together to create this new tale. And that's exactly what this Mm -hmm. is. And, you know, in that respect, and it's it's one of those sort of kind of come together elements. And yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, and and you can go so far as, you know, you know, you could have that moment, you know, of Ruby, you know, you know, why does she do this? You could go back, you could have her with her father. You could like, you could literally like retell yeah. your own tale, but you know, in a fictional fashion and do whatever you want to it, but still grounded in some sort of true heart. And like, because like, yeah. that's the, you know, that's the Pixar story development 
moment, like where they're all hanging out. They're like, okay, well, here's this, what happens here. And then someone's like, when I was a kid, my dad took me to the, you know, and then everyone's like, we got to put that in here. Cause that, that's the thing, you know, that's, what's going to make our character connect, you know, and our reader connect to our character doing our character. Like that's like, yeah. I mean, yeah. This, and, and yeah. I think that's why, you know, as a writer, you're always advised to have, just go out and live your life and have the, you can't just be at your desk all the time. No. Or if you're making comics, you can't just pull from a comics you've, you've read. Mm-hmm. You have to go. It's important to live life and have those experiences because they inform what you're doing. Yeah. You know? So without those experiences, you don't have no, you're just retelling the same stuff, but not as well. Yeah. You're regurgitating somebody else's experience or the thing or the thing that you dig, you know, and that's cool. Like I love Star Wars, but I'm not going to like try to like retell Star Wars. (laughs) Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how, how, like, do you have a scope idea for Ruby and rubbish? Do you like, Hey, I'm going to do six issues or like, or do you have an, yeah. an arc idea? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, because I have an idea for this. So this storyline is called Ruby and rubbish, shiny objects. And, um, I think this will be maybe three or four parts. And what I'd like to do from there is kind of spin off and do more of a, um, almost like a comic strip form mm. format, but on, but mostly like, you know, it'd probably be more like web comics, right. um, but something that I could put on Instagram and will be easily shareable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then have my own website to, you know, for people that want to go back through the archives or whatever, or just to, you know, cause who knows what's going to happen with any social media site. <laughs> um, I think it's important to have your own website. <laughs> okay. But yeah, you finish that up and then we're going to talk social media. Yeah. So I think what I would, what I would love to do is to, um, whether it's Ruby and rubbish, those two characters, I think I could tell stuff around or I could tell stories around what they find Mm -hmm. about like maybe even going back to if they find a toy, the cartoon, like I could do a a strip about the cartoon that that toy originated from or, you know, the owner of that toy or any of the other characters in this world, the side characters. I, I feel like there's, unlimited kind of potential for mm-hmm. not just focusing on Ruby and rubbish, but on all of the stuff that kind of um, revolves around them and their shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if you're inspired by the, the world that you create, it opens up a lot of doors versus because often like you may like oh i love this character this character is great if you just focus on the character you 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 know you can do amazing stuff and you can follow these great adventures with the characters but if you just pull that lens back a little wider and and show more of the world you have greater opportunity to kind of go everywhere and not have to have these character and slash characters 
always be the sort of the protagonist. Yeah. I think it would, I would probably be constantly looking for ideas of things to, if I, if it was just mm -hmm. revolving around two characters and each strip had to have these same two characters, I think I would probably run out of ideas pretty fast, but I think this keeps it kind of fresh yep. for me. Um, so that it is fun every time I'm like, Oh, I could do anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I could, I could tell this story. I could, talk about this toy mm -hmm. i could you know who, who knows i, I just well, think i mean a lot more think about like what daniel warren johnson's doing like he's he's coming back to books he's done before like i'm gonna tell another story about this thing and mm -hmm. but it's not like next month he comes back years later and i think that's a kind of a yeah. i think that's a really beautiful way to kind of do it and say i'm gonna tell the story that i want to tell when i tell it and then you know take his hand at you know telling somebody else's character story. Like these are really kind of cool. It's a very cool and rarefied place to put yourself. But I think, you know, I think only people like who are writing and drawing their stuff can do this, you know, because you can get a great writer to do different stuff, but it's going to have such a different vibe because the artist is going to be different. So, yeah. you know, that's why like a Tom King and, Mitch Jared's combo when they hop on different books is great because you get to see that duo doing a thing. You go, okay, well, like yeah. I dug that other thing. Oh, this is a very different kind of thing. I like this too. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. Go, 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 go make some other comic books for other people too. Cause I mean like that, that, well, it's a challenge, you know, isn't it? Like it's yeah. a challenge to, I mean, isn't the point of being creative is to take on these different challenges to kind of sharpen your stick with the, against a different piece of, you know, material. Yeah. And, and I've been working on, uh, the mystic melon, mm -hmm. this other book with, uh, Bob France and Kevin cuff. And that's been great also it, but in a different way completely yeah. than writing for myself is I get those challenges where I'm going to have to draw something. I may not make myself draw <laughs> sure because it's in the script. Yep. You know, I can't just be like, ah, let's, let's just make this cop's motorcycle look like, you know, it's from the future or something, mm -hmm. you know, it shoots flames out of the back, uh, because I don't want to draw it, uh, the way it should be. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, I think sometimes the, uh, what's, what's the expression like, um, the, the sum of the parts. Oh, it's greater than the <laughs> greater whole. Than, yeah. yeah. It's like, I may not write these things necessarily, but, um, it's, it's, it's like when I, you know, collaborate with, um, Marcus Cripps, who's the colorist on, on Mystic Melon. He makes color choices that I wouldn't make, mm -hmm. but I like, I prefer them, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, Oh, I wouldn't do that. And that's why I love it. You know, mm. I mean, there, there are, he, Marcus gets me just period. You know, he's like, Oh, I, I think he probably wants some, it, something like this, but then he takes what I might do and elevates mm. it. That's cool. So I think I do love collaborations. Uh, there's, they're just a completely different thing, <laughs> you know, 
it's yeah it's, uh, and it's you know it's you know it's a medium that um i think it really really speaks to collaboration and it and it, it rewards collaboration i think that yeah I, I, because it's so time intensive overall it's so restrictive to be the everybody you know i'm doing the whole thing myself yeah. because you know that limits you to like one comic a year and that's not really a sustainable kind of approach so i think that the collaboration offers a lot more um opportunity for people to see what you can do um yeah and i think i'm gonna have to do more of those but where i, I write <laughs> well yeah I don't draw everything yeah I think that's the, I mean, I, I, you know, and I, I say like, you know, we are not scalable, like our creativity isn't scalable, but working with people that becomes a scalable opportunity. Like you, how many comic books could you write a month in relationship to drawing and writing? Like it's, Mm. it's, you know, like 10 to one, (laughs) like you could, you could have a lot of comic books out there if you were just willing to say, Hey man, it doesn't have to always be me. And there are tons of people out there who draw in ways that I can't and I love to see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I have a full-time job too. Oh so, yeah. That thing too. You know, <laughs> I'm not drawing all the books. No, no. And I, you know, and you fall within the category of enviable artwork in my estimation where you're not putting the 14 hours a day into the page of just drawing it, uh, let alone inking and coloring and whatever else. So I like, I'm like, damn it. Like I love people who solve the problems. Yeah, I did. I think I tricked my brain to being okay with, uh, (laughs) having so many imperfections. But the the shapes are, the thing is, is you have this great aptitude for shapes, which make, which make it enjoyable. So I go, Oh, okay. Like no, I'm not looking at it forensically and going like, I mean, he's like totally messed up this anatomy here. Like, I don't care because <laughs> which I do, but that's, yeah. but that, but that's, it's liberating because you can like, yeah. and, and I've seen you do drawings where you're at, you're at, you do do at anatomy and I'm like, okay, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And this is an intentional action. This isn't just sort of like, yeah. this is the, all I can do, you know, yeah. like you can see the side, right. yeah. you know? <laughs> Yeah, I go off of feeling a lot, you know. I'm just like, yeah, this guy's head's too small. His neck is too long, but uh it it just works. Yeah. For me. Uh, yeah, no, it, <laughs> you know? it, it totally it totally works. And I mean, like I mean, that's I think that was a huge chunk of our first chat, you know, at Heroes was just me mm-hmm. commenting on, you know, how you were interpolating, you know, these these sort of historical characters but with a completely new set of shapes. Like it's like, Hey, Lego are cool, but have you seen my trapezoidal Legos and my, you know, my curved Legos? And I'm like, Oh, cool. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. No getting it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. I think I, I don't know. I, it's cool. Um, okay. Let's, let's just talk briefly on social media because you know, the world is changing at a rapid pace on the social media landscape. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it's tough because, you know, the promise of whatever it is, this, this sort of this free platform that we, that we utilize for free advertising, uh, changes. And then when anybody mentions like, well, if you pay for it, you could have what you want. And people go, I don't want to pay for it. 
you know, I go, okay, well then you have to kind of live with that. And I, I think what you said is so prescient is you need to own your own website. You need to have a place that somebody can't take away. Only you can take it away. Yeah. And listen, this is even saying that I'm like, does anyone go to a website anymore? Well, this is, this is, this is <laughs> the know? question mark, right? But, um, I, I just, you know, look at what's, what's happened with Twitter. It's just like, you can't, you can't count on it being there forever. No. Um, but with your own website, at least you can control, you know, uh, what you're putting up there and it's going, it can look as, as you intend it to look, mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody else is gonna, uh, tell you how, you know, to present your work on your website. Oh, sure. Um, I, I think it's valuable, like whether you, whether it's worth putting a lot of money into, I don't know, you know, yeah. I think a free site, even just having a, it depends on what you want to do, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want it as a portfolio site, um, there are plenty of options to where you're not spending anything, you know. But, you know, if you if you shell out a little more, you know, just just to be safe, then you can have, you know. I don't think you will regret having a website. Right. Right. <laughs> you know. Well, I think, I think with everything in, in sort of business and we have to, we have to look at this as business. We can't say this is just art for art's sake because it isn't, this is a, this is a product that, you know, it it is um, made in mass. It's not made individually. And I think we just have to kind of go, okay, like you said, what do you want to do with this? What do you want to do with your career? And then what, and what do you want to do with the tools that you have at your disposable disposal, not disposable for <laughs> your career. And, and I, so like the website is a tool and you, yeah, yes. How do you get people to get to your website? You know, and yeah. I, I, I do bang the drum of build your mailing list, get that, yeah. get that mailing list because if you can get people to come to your website through your mailing list, you can then keep people updated. And I get it. It's easier to have this little black box in your pocket, which puts this curated list of people you like, you know, onto a scroll that you can just see this brief moment. But I don't know. Well, and look, after seeing, you know, after having this full-time job and having to work on their website, I can tell you that there is a big difference between putting an ad or, or something on Instagram, let's say, versus sending out something in your mail to, in, via email mm-hmm. to your mailing list. Um, those are your true people, you know, yeah. and those are the people that are going to support you. And um, whereas, you know, you may just get a like if you're lucky on social media. Mm-hmm. And that's fine too, but you know, those, those people are less likely to, um, support your projects. Right. That's, that's certainly not true engagement. And yeah, I I think like the, the idea of at least my, my mindset is put, 
put what you want to do into the world. So if you want to do covers, put covers out there. If you want to do interiors, do interiors. If you want to do, um, you know, graphic design layout, put that out there. If you want to like, whatever the thing is that you want to do, put it out there, build that audience. Because if you're putting out pinup drawings, but you want to do interiors, no one's going to hire you to do interiors because they don't think you can do it because you're not showing it. Yeah, definitely do not put out there what you don't want to do. Right. But the, but the (laughs) low hanging fruit is do a drawing of cool character X and then I'm going to get some attention, but that attention doesn't have any sort of application to what your goal is. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I hopped over to blue sky, uh, two days ago and I mean, it's nice. It's not perfect. You know, like there's a whole, like, you know, right now everyone's screaming, yelling cause they can't put a gif in their thing. Okay. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Mm. Um, and you know, the, the, the layout is kind of wonky on the phone. I go, I can't, like, I can't see things like if I'm filling, I can't see what I'm typing if I'm making a post because like there's this whole block of copy, like what language you want to use. I'm like, I can't see what I'm looking, I'm trying to write here. So it's, it's just a weird, it's weird, but it's, you know, early days. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, but it's, a, I haven't tried it yet. I, I hopped on the hive whenever, <laughs> right, right. So that whenever was, that was hopping October, November. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Short lived. I mean, once, once it, uh, once they had those bug fixes or whatever that didn't fix the bugs and then they just lost all their momentum. I think. Yeah. That, I feel sorry. I do feel sorry for them because I think they've, you know, they're, they're completely out of the market now. Um, even if they're still yeah. around. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, but like I, you know, I, it, it's right now blue sky is a closed network. You know, there's, it's not anybody can just jo- join in. So you have to like, you have to be, and you have to be welcomed in. And then there's this whole sort of are invited in. So like, yeah, as, as a promotional tool, I don't know how it works as a promotional tool right now, because it's mostly the people who I know who already know me and a handful of other people who I don't know. And you know, what I would like it to be is a bunch of people who don't really know me. And then me saying, here's the thing that I do. Um, who knows? Yeah, that's true. You, I think that is the, that's one thing about Twitter that I do hope someone else picks up on <laughs> is just how easily shareable everything is mm-hmm. and how people can find you, uh, you know, from anywhere. And because an email, uh, a mailing list is important, but people still have to discover you. Yes. They have to learn who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think the level of discoverability on Twitter is still above any of the other yep. platforms. Agreed. Which is like why I would have a hard time letting go of it as bad as it's, you know. Yeah. And that's a great way to put it as bad as it, as it seems. Um, my experience isn't that bad. You know, I, I haven't been capped because I don't sit and scroll on it all day long. So, yeah. and that may be because I don't have as much engagement. So I'm not seeing a whole bunch of replies to whatever I do. Um, you know, so, it, you know, let's hear it for the small guy. Um, 
you know, I, that's, it's just, I mean, I mean, I get the social issue about it, you know, but I also get like, it's free. It is what it is. And yeah, I'll probably write it out for a while. (laughs) And I don't think it's, I really, honestly, I I don't think it's going anywhere. Like, I don't think it's going to disappear because you know, like if the people who are screaming and yelling on Twitter are, are in control of the world, well, then how come it's not the same people being elected in offices? Well, it's because there's another 50% of people out there who don't agree with you and that's okay. And that's just what it yeah. is. And it exists and that's all right, man. Like I don't, I don't dig modern day football, but it's cool if you like it. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> I don't know. Um, so in short, you're going to go see uh, across the spider verse sometime in the near again again yeah and have you seen indiana jones yet not yet me neither i'm really eager to go see it i we my wife is basically going to become in inaccessible come sunday and then we go off to detroit for a while and like how can i somehow wrangle our going to go spend two and a half hours in a movie theater between now and sunday that's that's my big that's my mission impossible um but you're optimistic after uh crystal skull no um i i not that i'm not optimistic i've learned a long time to go to not have too many um wants and needs for the things that i'm gonna go see i'm just gonna go well you know what i love indiana jones exceed your expectations yeah right have low expectations that's that's always been my you know hey you know that was my uh you know uh, what is it my dating profile when i was a younger man Ladies, have low expectations and I'll exceed them every time. Uh, well, I, I am looking forward to uh, that new TMNT Mutant Mayhem. Right. Thank you for reminding That'll me. That'll probably be the next movie that gets me into a theater. Yeah. Uh, which I think is in August. All right. I'm not a Turtles person because um, I just was a little too old for it when it hit. But yeah, that preview... I have to go see it. It looks so good. Yeah. It does does look good. Yeah. It, it blows me away how many times they've been kind of reimagined and they're all good. I got to say that <laughs> might be that might be the most resilient franchise. Yeah. And that might have to do with what I was going talking earlier about about the idea of stylization. Mhm. You know? Yeah. I mean the the characters are just there's there's so much to explore mm-hmm. with that world, you know, and I don't think they never had to explain too much, you know, right? Um, which I kind of, you know, I, I try to explain even less <laughs> usually, <laughs> sure. so I can just do whatever, you know, like this guy has a crow's head, you know, this is a guy that's a part crow, yep. but I, you know, maybe there was an ooze. Maybe not. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. And actually, it, it usually ends up being kind of not meeting your expectations when you, you know, when, when you find out who Wolverine was, you know, it's like, okay. Sure. Well, now I know, but it's kind of nice not knowing also. Right. It's, well, it's, isn't that the Hitchcock line? You know, like, let, you know, let nothing I can put on the screen is going to be scarier than someone's imagining. Yeah. Yes. And he was right. <laughs> that guy was good. Yeah. Like, I mean, he, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. If you can tell a story without telling anything, you're going to do yeah. great. 
yeah. you're going to do great. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I have a, I have a, I've come up with a title either for this episode, which I, you know, I won't put down, but, or a great title for a band and you, and it came from you. I wrote it down. It is okay. called tiny little thumbnails and I'm envisioning yeah. pictures of babies with their tiny little thumbnails. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what I hope everyone thinks of when they think of me. Yeah. Pictures baby of thumbnails. Baby, all babies giving thumbs up. Tiny yeah. little thumbnails. Um, man, this is great, Jeremy. I really enjoyed talking. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. I was super excited to finally meet you in the flesh. Um, Heroes is, is kind of this wonderful summer camp weekend. Comic conventions. You said you're not doing a bunch... But are you hip yeah. to the Beer City Comic Con? That's the only one I have slated for this year. Sweet. Yeah. So Asheville, Beer City Comic Con, what, September 30th? Yeah. The last, last, right? yeah, the last day of September and the first day of October. Yeah. I am doing that show and then we'll see after that. I mean, like I said, I just, I'm not sure if, and to me, it's, you know, I'm not yet at a stage where it's, it's, I can make back a lot of the money that I put right into going to the con if I have to travel or, mm -hmm. or anything. So it doesn't make a lot of sense for me yet, but that one's a local show pretty fairly close. Uh, so Cool. Well then anybody who's listening, who might make their way to Asheville at that time of year, definitely come to the show. I keep saying it. It's going to, I think it's going to be really good. I think it's going to be a good show, especially for a first time out. Yeah. I mean, you see us. Yeah. Right. You'll see, uh, Rico Renzi. That's right. He's a pal. Yeah. There's a lot. There's, He's a great dude. Great guy. And there's going to be a lot, actually a lot of great people there. So I think it's going to be, yeah. I think it's going to be a really good show in a place that I think a lot of people just want to come and hang out. So let's make, yeah. let's make the synergy happen. All right, my friend. Um, Thank you so much for being here. And um, you and I will keep talking offline. All right. All right. Bye. Great chatting with you.